0: Welcome to the Age Reversing Blueprint Podcast, where we discuss tools and tips to help you reverse your age naturally.
1: We really, truly believe that DNA methylation and epigenetics is a biomarker of the future. It's going to overtake conventional blood testing, hormone panel testing, probably within the next decade, probably about 60 to 70 percent of what healthcare providers are doing in house right now, it is it is truly a a uh, I would say we're truly undergoing an epigenetic revolution in terms of it just being uh, such a great biomarker, and that's what I I would think you know really makes me excited. All
0: right, hello everyone, and welcome to a our inaugural edition of the Age Reversing Blueprint podcast, where we help modern-day health-seeking men and women who are searching for their own fountain of youth uh, with longevity tips for slowing their age and also reversing their age. And I'm really excited to talk with our guest today, Hannah Wendt. She has a lifelong passion for longevity and breakthrough disruptive technologies that drive radical improvements to the human condition. Hannah saw an opportunity for methylation based diagnostics and started True Diagnostics in 2020. This is a company focusing on methylation array based diagnostics, which we'll be talking to you all about in this interview. For life extension and preventative health serving functional medicine providers. They have a commitment to research with over 30 approved clinical trials investigating epigenetic methylation changes of longevity and health interventions since then true diagnostics inception. They have created one of the largest private epigenetic health databases in the world with over 15,000 patients tested to date. And since then, Hannah has created everything epigenetic epigenetics, where she shares her insights on how DNA regulation impacts your health. So, Hannah, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate yes. your time. Yes,
1: thanks for the introduction, Dr. Rosen. Super excited to chat with you today.
0: Yeah, so I'm cu- me too. I'm curious yeah. to know about like in 2020, um, you know, reading your 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 bio there. You saw this opportunity for methylation based diagnostics and started this company so maybe take us through what 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 is methylation based age diagnostics and how on earth did you see an opportunity to start a company like this I'm really curious to know.
1: Yeah, right before COVID as well, actually. So it was, uh, you know, a pretty, pretty busy time. We're actually three years old, um, you know, in in July of of 2023, which is just a a huge milestone and crazy to think that it's been uh, three years since the inception of True Diagnostic. So it's been it's been such a fun and, and great ride and a lot of learning along the journey as well but I really became introduced to more of this functional healthcare provider space. Actually, right when I, I graduated college from the university of Kentucky. So I worked at a compounding pharmacy in Nicholasville, Kentucky, and we always needed a way to quantify how these peptide products work, right? Because we get a lot of backlash from the FDA or, you know, other people in the, the regulation based space as to what these peptides really do for our health. So, um, In 2019 of August, there was a study that came out that proved you could actually reverse your biological age. And when we saw that study, we asked ourselves the question, why are we not doing this for every single product that we offer to our providers to prove that you can reverse your biological age, thus reduce your risk of almost every single chronic disease and death. And what they actually used in in that study where they they published, um, that's gonna be DHEA growth hormone and metformin. So, you know, pretty, uh, I would say, Familiar products, um, and, and thought that we could do the same thing with peptides. So we then started creating True Diagnostic um, as as a company and built the lab um, from the ground up in, in Lexington, Kentucky, and you know have been growing really ever ever since and offering these tests to a lot of healthcare providers, just like yourself.
0: That's awesome. So what was it in the study, Hannah, that were the markers that were predictive of age reversal? Whether you were using metformin or growth hormone, what was what were the biomarkers?
1: Yeah, so they were measuring uh it, it's actually called the trim trial, T-R-I-I-M by Dr. Greg Fay, if, if anyone's interested and wants to look up that trial. And they're doing a part two as uh we're currently speaking. But they really uh, weren't looking at seeing a change in biological age. They were basically looking to regenerate the thymus um, and do that especially through, you know, all, all three of those products. And so they they measured a couple clinical um uh biomarkers on the site as well, but uh you know, really the title of this paper, I think they even mentioned the age reversal because they didn't expect that to happen. It was just a biomarker they were measuring. So they actually saw the overarching, uh, what we refer to as intrinsic biological age, uh, be decreased by, uh, about two and a half years, I believe over a year and a half period. So a net reversal of about a year, uh, which again was the first proof of concept study showing that we could, could do such thing. And, the first proof of, of age reversal really.
0: Right so then take me through then you see that study mm-hmm. light bulbs go off and you're like hey we can apply this to our to our peptides but that doesn't mean you all of a sudden 3 years later have this thriving business i mean how did how did you go through the process of setting up studies or aligning yourself with research and you know pr- producing the basically the reports that you have now that's such more dynamic than that you know one dimensional study you saw
1: yeah definitely i would say at first we we didn't know how really um we took our audience from that pharmacy and said we want to offer the best biological age tests to date um and we want to offer this to our healthcare providers so That's exactly what we did right before COVID happened. We sent out about 6,000, I believe, tests to healthcare providers, really uh, all around the the US and all around the world, I should say, even uh, to different countries. So that is what we started and and kind of our main mission with True Diagnostic was to be able to offer the best biological age predictor uh, predictor testing to date. What we didn't know would come with it was all of the academic partners, the universities, the relationships. now have a a state-of-the-art CLIA-certified lab, meaning we follow all the rules and regulations right, as it relates to um, our certification. So we also do in-house genomic processing. We do proteomic uh, processing and some other things as well. So those, I would say, were part of the businesses that we definitely didn't think would take off, but it did. And we're very lucky to be able to do that. And we continue to grow our our reports um, as we find out new insights. So it really is um, a, a data play. As we're able, to get more more data from our healthcare providers, and we're able to get other covariate information, and we're able to keep up with all of the research that's being published. We're we're able to uh, create different predictors from that epigenetic methylation data.
0: Right. I mean, it's super cool to hear the genesis of it and and all these unexpected tag-alongs that came with it. And I know we talked a little bit about Brian Johnson before we got on the call. And what I think so fascinating is the concept of what you're saying is with uh, AI and the rate at which intellect and and studies and research happen in real time. And then you just add on to the profile of what works. And then you have a database of doctors that are sharing their data. And it's just amazing to see. So I, I guess I'm curious before we get into some of the basic questions, yeah. well, let's get into the basic questions and <laughs> what, what is biological age? And as an adjunct to that question, um, what were the original markers that you were testing that proved biological age or or showed that re- reversal was possible?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, so biological age is essentially just a number, right? Um, compared to our chronological age. So, chronological age is, of course, going to be how old we are chronologically, how many candles we blow off from our, our birthday cake every single year, how long we've been on this earth. But biological age, it's going to be what's happening on the cellular level. How old is your actual body? How old are those cells, those those tissue types, those organs? And way back in the day, uh, this, is, this is always kind of funny to say, they used to measure your biological age by measuring how many cigarettes you smoked, which is a very, very crude measurement, right? Um, so as time goes on, they found more technologies and ways to actually measure the biological aging process. A lot of listeners may be familiar with telomere length to measure biological age at one point, which at one point it was the gold standard. I would say now we're, we're not huge fans because it's not related to many outcomes. Um, but like I was saying, when these epigenetic clocks were created in, in 2011 and, and around 2013, were the first two, I would say, most popular clocks to be created by Dr. Steve Horvath, uh, the pioneer of this field, who will probably win a Nobel Prize for uh, what what he has created, rightfully so. Um, that really turned heads um, in this entire kind of aging space. So the epigenetic methylation was proven to be the best predictor of health outcomes. And that's really, really important because if these predictors aren't proven to be related to health outcomes, then clinically, and you can relate to this, I'm sure as a healthcare provider, they don't mean much. So we need to be able to know if, you know, you have an increase in biological age, how that's related to diabetes, how it's related to, you know, heart disease, how it's related to your metabolomic function and different processes in the body.
0: Gotcha. So so what you ultimately found that it was predictive in the sense that it increases all course or all cause mortality. I mean maybe tell us a little bit about how that started to be predictive.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think one of the most predictive algorithms and now the gold standard with measuring biological age would be the Deneenden pace or that pace of aging. What really Brian Johnson is using as that gold standard to measure his age reversal and that Deneenden pace is my favorite to talk about. Instead of a biological age, it's giving you how quickly you're aging at this very moment in time biologically for every one chronological year. And that algorithm, furthermore, is going to even be the most precise out of all of them available. It's so precise, you can measure changes in, in two to three months. So you can, can repeat this test and see really what works for your underlying unique biology. But just as an example, and, and how it's related to mortality and morbidity, um, it has a hazard ratio of one64 as it relates to mortality. So first off, what's a hazard ratio? Well, a hazard ratio is basically how can a variable predict an outcome? So in this case, we're saying, how can the Deneenden-PACE algorithm, a predictor of your pace of aging, predict your mortality? And for every one standard deviation increase in that Deneenden-PACE, you actually have a 64% increase of mortality. All right, so that, that is a very, very strong connection. And for some of the older clocks, they only have a hazard rate to mortality of about 1.02, which just means a 2% increase in mortality, right? So we're getting better. And like you were, I, I'm just gonna, I'm just echoing what you're saying there, as we're able to drive these algorithms with more power, you know, knowledge is power, we're able to make better connections between the biological age itself, whether it be the pace of aging or some other outcome to outcomes of, of disease, again, mortality and morbidity in this case that we're discussing.
0: Right. And you can tell, I mean, if you're a sophisticated listener, you might be hearing some of these, these terms and understanding it, but not all of it. And it can get complicated very quickly. And what I really like about your reports are you, you try to make it as simple as possible for the reader to understand what biological age is and how chronological age and intrinsic and extrinsic. I definitely would love to talk to you about uh, the rate of aging and that uh, the study that you did. And that's the one that you're most excited about. I, I will say from my point of view, what I what really resonated with me is you do see a lot of people that feel that their their lifestyle and how tough they were on their health and maybe they weren't as cognizant about nutrients and and being proactive. They think, well, I'm screwed now because I haven't done uh, the things that I needed to do, but now, with the rate of aging and the pace of aging, that's not necessarily so so let's let's dive into that, Hannah, and explain to the listener what's so phenomenal about the the pace and rate of aging.
1: yeah, you're exactly right. so maybe just to compare bio overarching biological ages like you mentioned the intrinsic and extrinsic, those can be frustrating to a lot of people because those you know maybe influxed or increased. And everyone's like, why is this happening? You know, I'm doing everything right. And really those are an accumulation of how you've been aging across your entire lifetime from your inception up until now. I actually have, have called them your historical based aging processes. So they're limited in the fact that if you have a biological age, that's even older or younger than your chronological age, you don't know when that happened. That's just Basically, like compounded interest over time. You know that the, the net overall is decreased or increased, which is still great and still very informative and important to know. However, with the Deneenden PACE, it tells you at this very moment in time, are you doing the right things or are you not doing the right things? And do you need to edit that protocol? So, again, the Deneenden PACE is a metric, it's more of like a speedometer. So, that report will come out as a number between 0.6 and 1.4. 1.4 would mean you're aging 40% faster because kind of the average is is the 1 and then 0.6 would mean you're you're aging 40% slower compared to the cohort. And the way that this study was created, uh, or I should say this algorithm was created is very, very unique. They, they took a cohort named the Dunedin cohort, and it is named that because it was a study done in Dunedin, New Zealand. Uh, that's why it's called that funky name. And they took about 1,037, uh, babies, newborns that were born in 1972 and 1973. So it's just a birth cohort and birth cohorts aren't unique. However, this one is very unique in the fact that they measured this group until they are 52 years old. Today, they're still measuring them now, and they have a 96% retention rate. So 96% of the original study members are still in this study. And that is an excellent retention rate. I think you're very lucky in the States if you get like a 60% retention rate, um, just because people aren't participating as much or you know, following up and really, really uh caring about their health, to be quite honest. So back to the study. What they did. At four different time points is they took a lot of blood-based values. They took uh, a lot of, uh, you know, your, your CBC, your complete blood count values and some other lab values as well. And they were able to look at all of these unique data points and how they changed as the group aged. And with all of that data, we used some bioinformatic analyses. It's, it's called net regression elastic or elastic net regression modeling system to create that predictor. At 0.6 to 1.4. And then we realized by running different analyses and validation studies, that it is the most predictive out of any of those uh, epigenetic age clocks that have been created. And it's the most predictive of outcomes. Um, I, I know you've, you've seen the graphs, Dr. Rosen, but the faster uh, din pace that you have, the more cognitive decline, the weaker your grip strength, the worse your balances, you even have a a facial appearance of looking older as well. So they were able to kind of compare the 10 slowest, the 10 uh, middle and the 10 fastest aging uh, Dunedin pace cohort members. And they're all the same age chronologically. Remember they were all born in the same year but they look drastically different. So the people who have a faster pace of aging, they look almost 10 to 20 years younger compared to the people who have the slower pace of aging. So it is really related to all of these outcomes. And of course, uh, I bet you would agree, and and everyone listening is, everyone wants better quality of life-based metrics. I don't know anyone who would, you know, choose to have poorer quality of life-based metrics.
0: Yeah, no, thank you for sharing with me that. You know, and it was the first time that I used your lab was on myself and I was, quite honest, disappointed with my results because I was one that had always taken good care of myself. And then when I turned 50, I really feel like I hit the wall. It was a big, Mm -hmm. it was a big uh, decelerant. Um, But my, my value was 0.87 and you sort of talked Mm -hmm. me off the ledge and uh, (laughs) I felt a little bit better about it, but now I'm going to be showcasing with all the things that I'm going to be doing Uh, with following what's out there, with with also following with what I know, um, my own pace, so I'm excited to see those follow-ups, which is a good segue into you offer two tests, Mm -hmm. you offer the complete and you offer the pace, and maybe suggest why you wouldn't want the complete and what's in the complete first before you would do just a follow-up pace um, afterwards, podcast is brought to you by True Diagnostic. And if you're interested in the information we're talking about today and getting your true, true age diagnostic pace test or the entire test, make sure you check out the show notes. We have a discount for 12% off. That would be a special coupon of DRJOEL12. So Dr. Joel12. Be sure to check that out, get your own test. And now back to the interview.
1: Exactly. So that true age complete collection, that's where we look at about a million different methylation markers. And if you are someone who is wanting those overarching biological age markers, do the complete kit. It's just all in, it's, it's, it's comprehensive is what I'm trying to say, I guess. And, you know, I want to see all of my markers. I do want to see my historical based biological aging to maybe see how hard I have to push if I'm making up or to see if I have a little bit of leeway too. We also include other markers on that complete kit things like your immune cell deconvolution method. So we take a really good deep dive into the immune system. You may be a candidate for some immune modulation support therapy based on those outcomes, which again is gonna help decrease that Deningen pace over time as well. We also have some uh, different trait and characteristic bait based reports too, as um, such as, are you able to lose weight or not with caloric restriction? Um, things like how much you've been smoking or drinking across your entire lifetime. So we can kind of see a stamp on your methylome to see if we're able to pick up a signature. And I think those reports really reinforce better habits, better lifestyle habits. So I think it's all about the data. I, I I love data. I wanna know everything about myself and I know not everyone is, is that same exact way. Um, and a new report will actually be coming out with very, very soon, hopefully within the next couple of months, it's gonna be our fitness report. So we're able to actually quantify your fitness levels by, base, by basically looking at your epigenetics. And we're gonna be able to tell you things like your VO2 max, your FEV1, your grip strength and your gait speed all of which are related to longevity and aging. So if you can make those markers better, your overarching aging should look better as well. So again, that complete kit is really all comprehensive. Um, I think it's it's nice to look at everything from more of a holistical standpoint and say, okay, maybe I need to work more on this or, or make these lifestyle factors. Then as you were saying, I'd recommend doing that true age Pace product, um, which is gonna be cheaper um, six months later or so. Because again, you just need to know if the speedometer is going in the right way, that also includes the telomere length as well, where you can see how your telomere lengths are compared to the first time. Um, you know, there's no reason you can't do that complete. kit again, if you absolutely wanted to, but it may just not be necessary or the right one for you at that time.
0: Right, right. So, thank you for sharing. So, you know, I, I I've told you that I do a lot of just nutrigenomic testing, and we look yeah. at the genetic blueprint. So, I might be wondering if I'm just a lay person and I'm listening to this. I'd be thinking how on earth, and this might get a little more scientific than we anticipated, but how on earth can they look at my genes and tell me how my VO2 max or my exercise capacity is, and that's where you talk about epigenetics, where the environment and methylation panels and or methylation status, and the way that it impacts these certain genes, give us a baseline of comparison of how fast or slow that's going, but maybe Elaborate on how we're able to understand how the things we do environmentally impact our genes and we can get a clinical picture on that.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So all of these things you hear right on, on Instagram, social media, wherever, like your DNA is not your destiny or food is medicine. Those are all true because epigenetics by definition, epi means above. So we're looking at markers above your genome. And what we're actually measuring is how much is that gene being expressed? How much is it turned on? How much is it turned off? So think of it almost You know, like a light switch, but even like a light dimmer, because it's not binary, it's going to be somewhere in between. And there's a really great story actually behind the physical fitness markers and, and, and how we're able to collaborate in this space, which is, is just, again, a, a phenomenal thing when everyone can bring a piece of the puzzle together and we can create something really beautiful from that. So we actually created these physical fitness predictors with, uh, Kristen McGreevy out of UCLA. Um, she's in her final year of pH, uh, her PhD, and she really specializes in epigenetics and anything, uh, related to physical fitness, and she, she's amazing. Um, and we worked with about five of our healthcare providers who were gathering clinical data on VO2 max, FEV1 grip strength and gait speed. So they were actually doing those physical tests in their clinic. At the same time they were doing those physical tests, they were taking a blood sample for the DNA methylation epigenetic testing. So we were doing their epigenetic testing as at the same time they got these clinical values. We did that for uh, a very large amount of patients. And what we were able to do then, and and this is where, like you mentioned, it gets more into the science, more into the bioinformatics, we were able to look at how the epigenetic methylation markers are correlated with those outcomes. So again, using some of that net regression, uh, elastic net modeling system, we were able to say... When your VO2 max changes, these methylation markers change. When your grip strength changes, these methylation markers change. And then we just use the epigenetic methylation testing as a proxy for that outcome. So that is why epigenetics is so exciting is if you have the data behind it that you're able to um, create different outcomes, you can predict almost anything. Um, So we really truly believe that DNA methylation and epigenetics is a biomarker of the future. It's going to overtake conventional blood testing, Hormone panel testing probably within the next decade, probably about sixty to seventy percent of what healthcare providers are doing in house right now. It is it is truly a a uh, I would say we're truly undergoing an epigenetic revolution in terms of it just being uh, such a great biomarker, and that's what I I would think you know really makes me excited.
0: Yeah, it is cool. And so, kind of going back to Brian Johnson and what he's mm-hmm. doing, are we finding now that based on his results? that that becomes the new normal as to compare like a lighthouse to uh, improvements or or not is that what we're yeah
1: yeah i i think so you know and again talking about opportunities that we never thought would arise is something like the epigenetic uh olympics or um the uh ep- epigenetic uh the the name is now uh, rejuvenation Olympics. Thank you. I had a brain fart there. So yeah, the rejuvenation Olympics, looking at your epigenetics, um, that was created in conjunction with Brian Johnson. And he really said, Hey, I'm, I'm kind of setting the stage, right? I want to hold myself accountable. I want everyone else to hold themselves accountable. And then we can go through and look at his, his kind of uh, interventional treatment plan. And then people can also follow that interventional treatment plan. And again, just because it works for Brian doesn't mean it works for that same person, but it gives people at least a good idea of what to start with and maybe how to edit those protocols or, or what to choose, right? We don't want to start adding a lot of factors at the same time, because then you don't know what's actually giving you that true signal. So it's really nice to maybe implement one or two things or, you know, take a couple things away and do the repeat testing to see what's actually having that true effect. But I truly believe that Dineen did pace is the gold standard of measuring the change as it relates to aging, both in a clinical and a research setting. I think it, it absolutely needs to be
0: included. Right. And, and to qualify for that, I believe Hannah, you have to have what two okay. or three successive six month readings. How, how many is it?
1: Yeah. So three Dineen and paste values. That's it. Whether it's through the, uh, complete kit or the pace kit. So three values with your first and third test being at least six months apart. So we, we do it that way because we don't want to, uh, one, we want to make sure it's enough time, but we also don't want people submitting samples on, on others behalf or, you know, trying to, to change too quickly. We want to give enough time to see that, that change.
0: Right. And I mean, I don't even know. I haven't seen the site. How many people are in there at this moment, approximately?
1: Oh, I think think we've tested around uh, about 2,000 people longitudinally, but not everyone has consented to have their data up there. So you need to consent. Um, We try to update it monthly. I think we've paused it for a couple months because we're trying to get a lot of data in and, and like readjust the standings. But there's a lot of uh, great people in there, like Steve Aoki, the DJ, Peter Diamandis, head of Fountain Life, um, and Ben Greenfield, who's, you know, a, a pretty popular biohacker, I should say. And and what I really like about it as well is it, it tells you kind of what clinic they come from or, or what plan they're following. And I think they're also looking at opening a forum, um, on, on the website as well, and kind of going through and again, getting feedback, getting suggestions, Um, because even though this is the number one way to quantify your aging process, your epigenetic methylation markers are so specific to you. Again, I I just want to echo just because it works for someone else doesn't mean it would work for you. So it's really N of one precision-based medicine at its finest.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know what I really like uh, and give um, accolades to to your company Mm -hmm. is is that as a provider, you share what providers are doing with this model and how the different approaches are. And what I think is really cool is with certain softwares like BioCanics, they can Mm -hmm. um, have a cohort on their own. So what that means in English is I can say have 25 people that I put into my software and I look at their their true age, complete test. I see their rate of aging. I look at other markers, and then I could even pair that with their wearables and their, their different trackers. And then let's get into maybe, because I, I really like that you share this on your site, and that's probably what makes you so successful is that you're transparent. And I got to commend Brian Johnson for doing that too, right? I mean, there's no agenda, but hey, this is what I'm doing. And it's not the be all end all. And, And this is what we find works for me. And if you have something that works for you, great. Let's learn as a society and rise all ships. Um, So with that being said, you you do have on there different rejuvenation techniques or immune modulating. So maybe we could talk a little bit about what is known for sure, or specific to, to really help reverse or at least slow down the rate of aging.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I I love what you're doing, Dr. Rosen. I mean, kudos to you, right? You're taking all of this maybe more, more complicated data and you're looking at it from a functional approach. And I just think that's, that's the best way you can be doing this and kind of adding all of those factors and really understanding what's happening at a cellular level. So I love what you're doing. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to, to, to see it continue to grow. Um, but I think from, you know, an interventional standpoint, you can't dismiss the lifestyle factors. So we can, we can start there and and kind of, the most basic sense, but I would say, um, in, in terms of what we see actually shlo- slowing down that did pace, the number one recommended intervention is going to be caloric restriction, just period, <laughs> plain caloric restriction. And that's going to be cited from that calorie randomized control trial, which is a 10% overall caloric restriction in healthy non-obese adults. So they're taking healthy people. They're restricting their calories by 10%. You're measuring the din pace at, at baseline at 12 months and at 24 months. And we see the din pace is the only clock able to track that change. And that's extremely important. Again, pushing the fact that the Deneenden pace is the best for tracking those interventional changes because we know caloric restriction works. It works in animal models to improve lifespan and actually health span as well. They've done some pretty cool cool studies with that to improve quality of life of different animal models. So caloric restriction, I would say, would be my number one recommendation and what I would consider to be the most validated within the literature as well.
0: Yeah, and I think he's even doing 25% you know, he's taking it up to another level there. And, and not everyone is definitely oh. going to want to do that. And, and as he says, he's got to get every nutrient out of the amount that he's getting to make sure that he's getting the nutrients he needs. Um, but I would agree with you on the lifestyle. I think that, you know, eliminating in his words, the self-destructive behaviors and firing the, the nine o'clock Joel that has to have that, you know, the popcorn and all the other stuff at night, you know, and making the wrong decisions. So I think that goes a long way for sure. But as far as the other recommendations, nutrient wise, I mean, there's a lot of great things coming down the pike with NMN and mm-hmm. Synolytic stuff. And I mean, can you speak to, or are you able to talk a little bit about that at all and what you're seeing with some of your providers that have accounts with you that are seeing success with their cohorts or patients?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and like you said, Dr. Rosen, we would always be fully transparent on, on what we see. So we don't try and sell you anything, right? We don't want to sell you any supplements, medications, or procedural-based therapies. We just want to tell you all what we see according to our healthcare providers and according to what the literature uh, states as well. So I would say probably um, some of the top recommendations up there would be uh, DHEA. So we love DHEA. It's going to uh differ uh you know in, in in dosing when you're comparing men versus women or or some other factors blood based factors etc um but we like dha for mitigating the uh glucocorticoid uh levels or or those cortisol levels so we're reducing stress um we know stress really accelerates the biological aging process and there's a lot of psychosocial factors that go into that as well so we really like dha for um for helping out in that area um, I would say one of the most studied supplements, which probably doesn't come as a surprise either is going to be vitamin D about 4,000, 6,000 IU vitamin D per day, um, is what's been noted in, in the literature. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people are now, uh, taking a lot of vitamin D it's again, pretty, uh, a buzzword and in, in social media and really finding the importance there. Um, we also like rapamycin. Uh, so rapamycin is an, an mTOR inhibitor, um, basically inhibiting growth. So as we inhibit growth, we realize that that may be better to, uh, that may show a lot of better, uh, age outcomes as well. Um, again, the rapamycin does not have an appro- an approved interventional clinical trial, but we see that subjectively from a lot of our healthcare providers who are taking that. Um, I will say I have a, a Bernice mountain dog. Her name is Evie. She's, you know, big dog, short lifespan. Uh, she's been taking it ever since she's been a puppy. It's has been studied, um, pretty thoroughly, I would say in dogs where it increases their lifespan by a about 30%. So I'll have to report back on, on that one. Once EV gets uh, a little bit older as well. So DHEA, vitamin D, um, rapamycin, uh, we are big fans of NMN and, and NR as well. Supplementation. Um, I would say we haven't done enough of a thorough analysis on NAD, uh, intras- uh IV therapy at least, but, um, definitely NMN and, um, NR supplementation. I'm not sure which one beats, uh, uh what I believe, NMN is a little cheaper, I think. So, um, I don't quote me on that. I'm not, not completely sure, but I think, you know, if, if again, um, you're looking at your budget and and want to watch out for that, that, you know, NMN or NR is kind of a, a tiebreaker at the moment.
0: Yeah, no, it's pretty cool. I mean, we do a lot of nutrigenomics on those pathways and you could see where someone may have a weakness in being able to produce NMN from NR. And, mm-hmm. or NAD from NR and mm-hmm. you suggest NMN or vice versa. Um, but really the, what we see Hannah is when we have stress and it's not just emotional or, or psychological, it's environmental, it's oxidative. Mm-hmm. Uh, what that does is it uses up your NADPH, which is made from NAD. And mm-hmm. so obviously I always explain it as if you can pay the bills and get rid of the overhead you've already earned a lot more income than having to get a a new sale, so to speak. Meaning if you can take care of these stressors that deplete you, then you don't necessarily have to look at getting more in ingesting extrinsically, but it works on both areas. Just curious on the um, rapamycin, I know it's being suggested, especially in Peter Atia's book about Mm -hmm. pulsing it and um doing it in a, a sequence and a certain have you found uh, not that you're an expert on on yeah. the research on this but what have you what have you found for your dog that you're doing there yeah
1: yeah you know i'll uh, she it's been with her i would say pretty consistently there are some weeks when when i forget right um i i think we'll start to see it being used worldwide for for dogs um there are a couple companies I think that offer it uh, directly as a prescription for dogs but you know people care more about the their dogs and their animals than they do themselves so I think that space will, will really take off and uh, even some biological age clocks for for dogs being created as we speak to, um, I would say for humans, and, and again, um, there's kind of a, a certain ratio depending on how much the dog dog weighs and, and how much you actually give them. For human intake, I would say it's about six milligrams once weekly. Um, that was, you know, I, I would say completely kind of created by, um, I believe Dr. Green is, is his name, that certain protocol. Um, so the goal with rapamycin is not to take too much and, and put yourself into kind of a immunosuppression overdrive, but to take maybe just enough where you're inhibiting that growth a a tiny bit. Um, but I think I'm, you know, it's, it's hard to say without that, that actual data, but I can, I can tell you that a lot of our healthcare providers and their patients are taking it.
0: Yeah. I mean, that gives credence to why caloric restriction is so important to be able to turn that mTOR off and, happen to AMPK. As another strategy, Hannah, I have my mm-hmm. patients go less than 15 grams of protein if they want to do the same thing and they can't quite make it into the 25 or 10% off um, and see if they can just have a protein sabbatical for a couple of days to slow that down, which is pretty interesting as well. Um, yeah. Are you not recommending metformin? I know metformin sort of has um, been shown to, to be helpful in this area as well.
1: Yeah, I, I think we like metformin too. I think rapamycin a little bit um, more than the metformin itself. Um, if you remember that study I mentioned right when we started talking at the beginning, they use the metformin and then they use the DHEA as well. And we believe we probably saw most of that reversal that they they reported out on due to the DHEA and it's, it's um, uh, pathway for mitigating those uh, glucocorticoid uh, receptor elements, but we think metformin might be pretty neutral as it relates to aging. I think we need a little bit more data to really make a stronger statement there. Um, but we still, we still are big fans from uh, of of metformin. I would say people like the extended release over the you know non extended release for uh, some GI side effects as well. Um, but probably leaning, I would say a little bit more uh, toward rapamycin at the moment.
0: Gotcha. You know, one of the things as I dissect down, like, you know, over the hundred supplements that Brian Johnson takes, there's different (laughs) clusters of categories that I've been seeing trends with. And you see, like, the broccoli sprouts, and you see the taurine, and the glucosamine, and the garlic. And where they have a lot of relationships, Hannah, is in that t- transulfuration pathway, which mm-hmm. helps to make our antioxidant recycling elements and really helps to deal with stress and helps to recycle your um, your, your glutathione and to be able to really keep your body um, obviously out of, out of that inflammatory response. So I think that's yeah. a big part of, of what's working for him. Um, as far mm-hmm. as what I always like to ask my guests, Um, when we're when we're getting to a wrap here is now that this is a new podcast I'm going to come up with a question that's going to be consistent is what would you wish you would have known back then that you know now that would have helped with your sort of your intrinsic extrinsic age Um, notwithstanding the things we've already talked about maybe what you had a specific challenge with yourself that you wish you would have known that could have maybe helped you further down the road
1: Yeah. I I think, um, oh, that's a, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of things I I would, I think want to know a little bit earlier, but if I had to pick one and then I'll, I can add something secondary here because we've already touched on it a little bit, but just stress regulation through lifestyle factors. I am just a naturally stressed out person. Um, And I think that's, you know, the culture a lot of us deal with, right. We work uh, really intense jobs, you know, we're, we're always moving. We're always going around the clock. So making time for yourself and, and really, you know, I, I love doing hot yoga. I need to make more time to do hot yoga and help regulate those, those stress levels. Um, but I think something to add on there as well is our thoughts, our thoughts even are responsible for how our genes are being expressed. Right. So all of that negative, um, you know, talking that, that internal monologue that we have, I I actually don't think some people have it. I definitely have an internal monologue, right. Um, it it can, it can form how your genes are being expressed. So just being kinder to yourself as well, right? Um, any internal or external stimuli that are, you're getting are going to affect your genes for the better or for the worse. So being able to, I think, control for what you can control for, um, in, in terms of your lifestyle factors is, uh, yeah, I think definitely something I would want to learn, learn earlier, right? Um, like maybe that dessert isn't worth it, or maybe, you know, that snack isn't worth it as well. So, um, I, I think just Knowing what you're willing to give up, making it your lifestyle, making it your habitual routine, is is something I w- I would want to know a little bit earlier, um, just because it has a massive effect.
0: Yeah, no, it's a great answer in, in the sense that I, I echo that as well. Is that you pay the physiological consequence with your thoughts, right? And it, it's like a domino effect. When you push that first domino down, then you're going to have the impact of the dominoes down the line. And I always use the analogies of of different ways to explain things. My brain thinks of it as it's kind of like debt in the sense that if you're only making interest payments, you never pay down the debt. But if you can kind of cut into the principle, um, you're eventually going to get that momentum and make a difference. And same thing with our thoughts. I think you're either, it's an all or none. You're either having good thoughts that are helping your physiology favorably or you're not. And you want to make sure you're on the other side of it. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, th- go ahead.
1: No, I, ju- I, I was just to kind of uh, lead off of that too. It's just consistency, right? Um, being in that routine and, and showing up for yourself and, and keeping the promises that you're making uh, to yourself, or maybe not making the promises if you don't think you can live up to those promises and just kind of accepting that and understanding that is uh, something I think I'm, I'm still learning to do.
0: Yeah. It's a life. It's a verb. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. So we talked before and and you mentioned that, um, that if our listeners listen to this, we can create a link Mm -hmm. um, for them to get a discount. And um, I'll have that in my show notes and in the description, wherever they're watching this and they can try the, the true age complete test or the um, or the pace test and, and really get uh, a handle on their um, on, their, on their aging. Just curious in parting it, what's new and exciting? I know you mentioned you have the, um, these physical exercise markers, any other forecasting for true diagnostics, what's coming in the works here?
1: yeah, definitely. We're creating the report right now. Um, and we've been working on this since we've been open, really, three years ago, as we just completed our study with Harvard, our multiomic study. So we took about uh, five thousand biobank samples from uh, Harvard's Biobank and look at. Uh, epigenetics, uh, full genome sequencing, untargeted uh, proteomic analysis, metabolomics, a little bit of transcriptomics and phenomics. So they're phenotypic outcomes as well. Um, And we will be creating a a multi-omic clot called omic M age. That'll be even better than your intrinsic and extrinsic epigenetic aging. um, And be, I would say the the new gold standard for overarching biological age. So really excited for that report to come out. Um, It's going to have about 36, I believe different clinical values that we're able to report out through epigenetic methylation too. So I think that'll be a, a huge break and something we've worked on for a very long time that I'm excited about.
0: That's really cool. So do you just curious as a being curious about it, do you do your, your complete tests along with the database or you just do a, a study of the, of the analysis of the data?
1: Yeah. So, um, it would be in, in terms of what I'm sorry,
0: so when you're doing this, when you're producing this entire algorithm, yeah. it's based on not only the database that, that Harvard has, but you've oh. also put them through your kit? And you've looked at these markers or is that right? Correct.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. we did the epigenetic testing um, for those those samples that were banked in the biobank. So yeah, we were taking their epigenetics alongside of that to create these new predictors. So yeah, you're absolutely right.
0: Oh, interesting. So but you you had to get their blood or you had that the samples were in the in the biobanks for their blood.
1: Correct. Yeah. So, so people who, you know, have already passed away, who have had uh, different disease outcomes, and that's the key. You need those outcomes to be, to be able to relate it back to things that we want to predict. So um, you need that biobank data essentially to be able to create those types of things. So we're really excited.
0: That's so cool. Well, listen, I want to keep it open for part two, because I have so many other things that my brain wants to ask you, but I I think the listener is going to get a lot out of this today. So Thank you for your time, Hannah, and thank you for what you're doing. And uh, I got to say, I'm a little jealous that I wasn't there with you at the, the <laughs> on-start, but um, it's awesome that you're doing that. And I'm, I'm joining along here and hoping to make a difference just like you are. So thank you so much.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Dr. Rosen.
0: Hi, thank you so much for watching our Age Reversing Blueprint podcast. If you've made it this far, we sincerely thank you for your attention and your interest in reversing your age. If you're looking to get more information on today's topic or other podcasts that we've had, be sure to check out the show notes and be sure to check out drjoelrosen.com. Have an awesome day.